Howdy folks and welcome back to the Six Ranch Podcast. Today my guest is Kristen Redderath. Kristen is a hardcore hunter and she has a page called Gathering Health where she helps people understand food better and uses that to help herself and her family feel better. What we're going to go into today is talking about ways that you can plant a garden that produces food that you can dehydrate and preserve and then put in your pack later on for hunting season or backpacking or whatever you want to do. It turned out to be a lot easier than anything I expected and Kristen really is the expert on this. So I'm grateful for having her on the podcast and I hope you all learn something that you can put to use for yourself this fall. So what's going on in your world? Not much. We were just uh, trying to um, survive (laughs) COVID-19. Not really, though. No, not a whole lot has changed for us. So it's been kind of nice, honestly. How's COVID-19 been affecting you? Um, Honestly, not a ton because we homeschool. So it's just been kind of a nice little break of slowdown, to be honest. Um, We were running like crazy with kids sports prior to COVID-19. So now we're just home and getting to spend more time shooting and getting the garden in on time this year versus late last year. So it's been, it's been a good slowdown to get everybody, you know, back on the same track and spending a lot more time with the kids. We're not running everywhere here, there and everywhere every night. So it's been good. How about you guys? Yeah. You know, a lot the same. I feel like we're we're at a point right now where people are starting to act on the way they've they've had to adapt and that uh that's shown us a lot of silver linings. You know, I haven't been able to guide it all this season and of course that's like an an economic hardship for sure, but I'm still going fishing and I'm getting to fish with my friends and family a lot more. I'm getting to actually bring fish home. So I spent this week um, brining, smoking, canning, like, I don't know, we canned like 34 cans of kokanee yesterday. Oh and my God. that's, I've never got to can fish before. Yeah. So, so things that you've literally never had time to do because you've just been helping everybody else. Exactly. Exactly. Tell me about your garden. Oh gosh. So I grew up gardening. Um, uh, my, well, I guess I shouldn't say I grew up gardening. My parents had a garden when I was a kid. We lived in North Dakota in like the Red River Valley. It's some of like literally the blackest, richest soil, um, in the nation and full of farmers. It's all flat land. Um, doesn't need a ton of water because the soil just retains all of that moisture. It's just really beautiful gardening country. But our garden had, you know, things like potatoes and sweet corn and squash and not a ton of things that I'm like now gardening because I didn't, my parents didn't eat a lot of the things that I'm now gardening. So I kind of learned how to garden a little bit. But then when we moved to South Dakota uh, about eight years ago, I realized, you know what, like we were taking a step back as far as like me not being me not teaching in a public school system anymore so we were kind of like budget crunching and trying to figure out how we could save some money and you know Brady he eats a ton so um I just decided to start gardening in just this tiny little space in our backyard 
And it literally was just like right next to our garage, just had a few little things. And then it's just kind of grown year after year after that. Um, so after, you know, a couple of years later, um, now we're, I'm gardening with a friend of ours that is, they have this huge space and it's been a really great um, opportunity just for me to like come out here and, um, you know, garden and have all this space because I'm not in town and restricted by, you know, space. So last year was the first year we gardened out here at our friend's place and it did really, really well, but we got a really late start because my dad had had a motorcycle accident and um, I couldn't garden until the beginning of June. So got a late start and some things like just needed more time and it got too hot before a lot of things could really do a whole lot. So this year we got it in, oh gosh, it's been, I think three and a half weeks already. So I just thought I'm in their recording studio in their office right now. Um, and the garden's just outside the door. <laughs> so I was checking on um, the radishes are coming up, the beets are coming up, the onions are coming up. So it's just fun to see everything start to pop up already. And we moved the location a little bit to get it some more natural sunlight, not be so shaded. And so it's just, it's a really, it's big, it's huge, but it's a really great opportunity for us to pack a ton of food into our freezer every year. Well, you've done so much with helping people get healthy and stay healthy, and you're really positive about it. I feel like a lot of people when they go to Instagram or social media, they end up coming away from it feeling bad. You know, they're seeing pictures of people who look the way they wish they looked, but don't, or they're seeing people having experiences that they wish that they could have, but they're not. You're doing something completely different with that, where you're actually trying to find ways to get people those experiences and get people into that health. So tell me a little bit more about gathering health and how that came to be and, and where it is now. Yeah. So um, gathering health came to be honestly, because I had gone through a lot of health challenges in a short amount of time. So fast, you know, track back to like being in high school, I was a competitive athlete, I went to college to play volleyball. And I was really super injury prone. And looking back now, I wonder if that some of that had something to do with my autoimmune disease, but I live with celiac disease and have multiple other food allergies. So when I found out it was before, um, like Whole Foods was a thing, you know, to where you could actually, you know, they were popping up everywhere. It wasn't like super popular. There wasn't Thrive Market. There weren't all of these places online that you can now order gluten-free stuff and you know, health foods and those types of things. So I started doing a ton of research and figuring out how I could still enjoy food without feeling like I was missing out on everything that everybody else was enjoying and kind of retraining my system to enjoy things that I had never really eaten before. So um, when I was growing up, I didn't eat like I, I came from like a Midwestern North Dakota family, very hot dishes and, you know, that type of thing. But fast forward to now, we don't really eat any of that. It's all pretty much wild game and vegetables and stuff from the garden. So gathering health kind of came out selfishly because people were asking me all the time, like, what do you do for this? And, you know, what recipe do you use for that? And how do you bake 
gluten-free without it, you know, tasting like cardboard. And so I just wanted a space to put all of those recipes. So when someone asked, they could say, well, it's just on my blog or that's on my Instagram or, you know, just look through the recipes, highlight thing. It's all in there. Um, so it was just kind of a way to make it a little bit easier for me so that I wasn't constantly sending recipes all the time. But it's grown into, you know, there's a huge need for people who are wanting to learn and know how to prepare wild game and how to eat healthier just simply by hunting and gathering your own food. And for me, that's kind of what has transformed my health and allowed me to stay healthy um, because, you know, just eating gluten-free prepackaged food is not going to fix the issue if you have like a severe um, autoimmune disease. So we just kind of cut everything out that wasn't hunted or gathered. And thankfully, it's made a tremendous, tremendous difference in my health. And now our family's just totally used to it. So we've just kind of kept it around. That's awesome. I really enjoy reading your recipes. I'm not a chef by any means, but you write very clearly. You have beautiful photos to go with it. And it's easy enough to understand. It's not this big intimidating process. It's like, yeah, I can cook this this evening um, with a handful of ingredients. Yeah, that was the biggest part, you know, for me that a lot of people think that you, if you're going to cook something that has to be gluten free or something, you know, that is going to taste really great, that it has to be 5 million different ingredients. And it doesn't. The nice part about it you know, is if you keep it simple, you're more likely to continue to do it, right? And you can make things taste good without them having 5 million different ingredients or 5 million different steps or whatever. So our rule of thumb is always to keep it simple, because then we will continue to do it. The second it gets hard is when people don't want to even try. So I didn't want like, I don't ever want to put something out there that is like 5 million steps and so hard to follow and all of these ingredients that you can't find anywhere, because then I know it's not going to serve the majority of the population. And, you know, I, I feel like as hunters, we're pretty simple people and our recipes kind of need to be tailored that way, too. So <laughs> I agree. Um, I'm especially simple amongst hunters, for sure. So if a recipe starts calling for a bunch of intricate steps and words have apostrophes in places that I don't feel like it needs them, um, I'm out. I'm going to fall back on salt, pepper, and heat it until I feel like it's safe and throw it down the hatch. What I really yeah. want to talk with you about today, the, the, the core thing that I want to get to is gardening because we're coming right up against the wall of when people need to be putting seeds in the ground, at least in the inner mountain west. I just built some garden boxes with uh, with my wife over the weekend. We had uh, we're doing a big juniper clearing project here on the ranch, so we've got a bunch of juniper logs around. So I took one of these big junipers and put it on my sawmill, and I milled out some boards, and then you know immediately brought them up here to the house. It was still green wood, and then assembled these boxes. So they're real real simple. They don't have a complicated job. No big deal. Juniper lasts a long time. It's pretty resistant to rot and water and things like that. And we've got some compost that we've been um, building over the last few years that we're going to fill those boxes up with. So beyond this compost, I'm also going bow fishing for carp tomorrow. So do you yeah. think I should bring back some carp to throw in that dirt? 
I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. Okay. Unless you have cats. Do you have cats? (laughs) I think that there's a cat or two around, um, just in the way that there are feral cats around places, but um, nothing that has a name. Okay. So, I mean, I would because that's only going to give even more nutrients to your soil. But, I mean, sometimes cats will dig that stuff up. So, if you have, like, you know, barn cats at your place, um, they could potentially, like, dig up all your seeds and then, you know that would be a waste, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't hesitate to do that at all. The composting part is, is incredible that you've already built up a bunch of that. Like here, the space that I have, our garden is probably, I want to say 40 by 60. So it's huge. So you can imagine I don't have compost to fill in all of that, but because this is the first time, this is the first year of that location, that we're just kind of letting it go and seeing, you know, what comes up. I think a lot of people, the thing I always tell people about gardening is that you just got to try stuff. You just got to see what works, do some research. Everybody's area is going to be so different based on, you know, where you live and what grows well. Like we're in the Midwest and pretty Northern. Um, so we're in zone four, which means it's like average extreme temperatures are 20 to 30 degrees below zero. So what grows here is going to be different than what you can get to grow there, right? Because your temperatures aren't as low, you probably can get quite a bit more to grow where you're at. But the basics are, I mean, they'll grow anywhere, honestly, as long as you have some decent warm, warm weather. So are you doing like raised beds? Or are you doing like on the ground? Um, they're on the ground. It's just kind of a way of, of car- compartmentalizing what we're doing. We also have a big greenhouse here on the ranch and we use that to make f- produce for our farm stand and things like that. But this is just kind of a little project for me and my wife to work on and it'll be her first time, um, gardening from, from start to finish. And then selfishly, I'm thinking about food that I can preserve, dehydrate, whatever, and then throw in my pack this fall to take hunting is this uh-huh. a lot of the red stuff that's out there honestly like some of it's better than others but none of it is that great so no, what are some things that i could be growing now that i could later preserve to uh take with me when i'm going hunting so um uh, so i'll tell you kind of a rundown of what we have and then um tell you kind of what i use them in so this year we have grown onions which obviously you can throw that in any meal that you're going to use in the backcountry we also have kohlrabi we have brussels sprouts we have beets we have carrots we have green beans we have snap peas we have squash zucchini zucchini squash and buttercup squash um and i think spaghetti squash then we also have sweet corn cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers. So we do, you know, obviously I will make a backcountry stew for Brady. Um, we've done chilies, we've done chicken burrito bowls, and all of those contain either a jar of salsa, uh, the tomatoes straight from the garden, the corn straight from the garden. Um, you can also do green beans and, you know, a lot of those things like making, you can even make a vegetable soup and dehydrate that. Like, there are so many different things and different ways that you can do it. It's literally just trial and error. But when I, two years ago, I started dehydrating foods for Brady to take on his elk hunting trip. And 
he pretty much, we did chili and we did chicken burrito bowl. And I did a, like a marin, pasta marinara with a marinara beef sauce. And those, between those three, he's like, I really like, I could eat, he's not picky at all. He could eat anything and he could eat the same <laughs> thing over and over and over again. So he's like, I'm totally fine if you just do those, but I like to experiment and I like to try things. So every year we just kind of pick something different to kind of try and then make some new recipes with it. So there's just some basics that everybody needs to, um, you know, kind of pay attention to when they dehydrate. Cause there's two different ways that you can do it. Have you ever dehydrated anything before? No, we've dehydrated, um, mushrooms like the morels that we picked this spring. We dehydrated all of those so that we can use them throughout the year. Um, We've dehydrated fruit and things like that, but to dehydrate a soup, I I wouldn't even know where to start. Do you just leave it on the burner until it quits bubbling, or how do you do that? <laughs> I know, right? So I had no idea that it was this simple. When um, so, the whole reason I started was, you know, the year I was pregnant with Kaisley, so for five, almost five years ago, um, Brady went elk hunting solo in Wyoming. And he took a pile of mountain house meals. And I know some people love them, but they are packed full of sodium. And he came home with like blistered lips, blistered hands. He was so swollen. I like could barely recognize his face. He was so puffy. And he hadn't, you know, I mean, when you are consuming that much sodium, you can barely keep up with your water consumption to flush it all out. So we just decided, you know, we would keep some of those for, you know, in case he needed them, but I wanted to try. And so I was looking at purchasing them from some of the other companies, but it was like $12 for one dinner meal and then $8 for a lunch meal or a breakfast, you know, and by the time you add that up, I'm like, holy bucket, this is, you know, I'm going to spend like $400 on your meals for your 10 days in elk hunting. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So um, I just started looking up like how to dehydrate and I came across this old school guy on YouTube and he literally just made chili just like regular minus like he did take um, a different step with the meat, which we can talk about. But um, then he just laid it flat on the dehydrating trays on parchment paper and let it go and just dehydrated it. And then it became like this bark. And so I was trying, I was experimenting to see if I actually wanted to send it along with him. So I rehydrated it at home and it worked. And he was like, I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> so then we just kind of kept going. And that's our favorite one for sure is just my, my homemade chili. That's amazing. So you just take the parchment paper and just kind of make it into a bowl so that the chili doesn't run off the sides. Well, so like, um, so we use an LEM pen tray. It's like they're, it's called the Mighty Bite. Um, so it's square tray. So you just lay your parchment paper on there and then you want it kind of to be like a thick chili. So you don't want to add too much tomato sauce because it's going to be, you know, a little extra runny when you add the rest of the water in and reconstitute it in the backcountry. So you literally just spread it out on the trays and dehydrated it. Yeah, like, oh, what did I, I think it was 145 because it has meat in it. So anything with meat needs to be dehydrated at 145 degrees. But then I just let it go until everything was completely dry and it ends up becoming like just these 
crusty little things and um I just wrapped it up in paper towels and I vacuum sealed it and sent it off with him. It's incredible. Like I never in a million years thought that that's what it would look like <laughs> when it's done. So yeah. Then there's a whole other way to do it where you can like take every single ingredient and dehydrate those singly. So you could take your ground beef and dehydrate that and take your tomatoes and dehydrate that, you know, and your tomato sauce and dehydrate that. And then all the vegetables and beans and whatnot that you would put in chili. You can dehydrate those all separately and then combine them into bags. But that just made me a little bit more nervous with chili because I don't measure a lot when I make it. I just dump seasonings in. So I wanted to make sure that it actually tasted good before I dehydrate everything. So, yeah, it's not as hard as everybody thinks. And then what kind of package do you put it in so that he can reheat it? Yeah. So the first year we just did regular vacuum seal, quart size vacuum seal bags, and he just like folded the top over. But LEM just came out with the bags that are zipper top that you just seal at the bottom. So I wrapped it in a paper towel and that keeps it from puncturing the bag when you seal it because it's so those pieces get to be super sharp. So you wrap it in a couple paper towels and then... um vacuum seal the bottom after you put it in there and then when he's out there he pulls off the top and then puts the water in and then zips it close close again and then eats it that you know after it's sat for a little while so it's pretty simple with those zipper bags yeah that's that's easy i feel like that's something that i could do yeah absolutely anybody could do it like i mean that's the part that i always like try to tell everybody like i'm not an expert i am just a normal like mom living in South Dakota, learning all of these things via YouTube and (laughs) figuring out how to share it with other people. It's just, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Honestly, there's not, it's not hard. It's nothing special. You just need a few pieces of equipment and just to try things. So, so some, some basics that would go into that would be like carrots, tomatoes, onions, what what other garden items would go into that chili recipe? Um, so I use well, not celery. Don't get celery from my garden, but the mostly the tomatoes. Um, you could even like put green beans in there if you wanted to. Um, the onions. I mean, there's all sorts of recipes like the chicken burrito bowl. We would put corn in with chicken and rice and salsa with tomatoes and beans. And then that's like a really hearty type meal. It almost looks like a, I mean, it kind of looks mushy when it, when it reconstitutes, but it tastes amazing. So if you were to like go to Qdoba or something and get brown rice and then, you know, they'd add the chicken, the fajita chicken on top and you'd have your peppers in it and then your black beans and then your corn and then your salsa, that is all in one meal dehydrated. And that one turned, that's honestly by far probably my kids' favorite meal. They say it tastes amazing. So it's another simple one. I just made it, threw it all together, laid it on the trays and dehydrated it, and it was done. And we we use those even through deer season because it's like even when you're just, you know, you've hiked in a ways in the morning and then you're going to take a break for a little while. So you're hiking back and sitting somewhere just to have them, you know, even at the truck is is fine. And makes it a lot easier to just have a warm meal that way when you know you don't have to bring anything with to really cook it besides 
you know, your jet boil. So, man, I was on an elk hunt last year in Colorado and it was a really physically demanding hunt. We're doing it, um, with over the counter rifle tags, um, in the back country, you know, it took an entire day to backpack into where we wanted to go. No support from, from horses or mules. And it was a long ways from water and it was really cold and it was high elevation. So really a bunch of factors that individually can make a hunt hard all coming together made this hunt extremely difficult. And I can't remember the name of the company that made the the freeze dried meals that we had, but they were not good. And uh, I, I needed to be eating when I was up there. It was, it was, it was very, very cold. It was single digits. I had a 30 degree sleeping bag. Uh, it was not ideal. And food is important, especially in the cold, especially in the cold. And I just couldn't bring myself to eat some of this stuff. So I was, you know, yeah. basically restricting myself down to a meal or two meals a day. And I also didn't have a lot of water that I could be throwing into food. I felt like the water that I had, I needed to be drinking. I've since learned that your body can actually absorb water um, a little bit better if if you are drinking it with your food or if you're eating wet food. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's going straight down, you know, um, and you're not, I mean, I don't know. Men seem to be a little bit differently, different than females. I feel like you guys are peeing all the time. <laughs> Women seem to like, our system seems to like not move quite as fast for some reason, but that also just goes like having a hot meal can go a long ways for just like, the way your body feels while you're on a, you know, an extremely taxing hunt like that too. You know, if you can have a warm meal that is not only going to hydrate you in the form of chili like that, because you're, it's essentially what you have in the dehydrated portion, you're adding that same amount of water usually. So it doesn't take a ton to actually rehydrate it, but you're going to get that in the form of liquid, whether you drink it or you eat it. So you might as well eat it right? And fill your belly with protein and all sorts of other nutrients. Yeah, I agree. And people tend to think of, of performance and, and nutrition in terms of like big muscle movements, like hiking or, or packing out weight or whatever. Uh, the reality is performance also occurs at the micro level. So if you're glassing and you're exhausted and your body doesn't have all the nutrition that it needs, maybe you can't stay in the glass for as long and you're coming out of the scope more often. And that makes the difference of whether you see that animal flick his ear or not. And, you know, something as simple as that, especially on a mule deer hunt, can completely change the outcome of the entire experience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're, even just your drive of like how far you're willing to go, right? Like that a lot of times just that you don't even feel fatigue really, but it in your brain, that subconsciousness, your body is kind of telling you, well, maybe I should not quite go as far or there's just so much that goes into it. And as far as nutrients, like, um, Brady doesn't take usually eat a ton of carbs when we are at home, but we make certain that when he is, um, on elk hunt and in the backcountry, that his intake is so much higher than normal because he's just burning so many more calories and he gets really tired really fast. If he's not having a ton of carbs to um, 
you know, kind of support some of that because his body just isn't used to that on a daily basis, right? You throw yourself out there and you haven't been, I mean, there's, there's nothing you really can do to prepare for 10 days of all out elk hunting like that. Like you can train and you can lift and you can work out, but unless you're doing that all the time, your body isn't adapted to fueling itself for some, you know, you're not fueling yourself for that at home all the time either. So it's just super important to pay attention to like what you're eating because you're right. Like it, it can totally screw up your entire hunt if you're, if you're not giving your body what it needs. And a 10 day hunt is a huge push. There's a point of reckoning at usually for me, day three and day six, day three, I'm starting to have weak thoughts. I'm like, man, do I need to go somewhere else? I'm having all these doubts. And then day six, if it still hasn't happened, then I'm having, I'm like basically full on panic. But if I can push through that, then you've got this quorum of data that you can act on and you know what's going on in the area. You know the rhythm of things. You can make smart decisions about your next moves. And those final four days of that hunt, really three days of that hunt, because you need the last one to get your animal out of there. That's when you can really make some money. So if you can be eating the right things to stay in the game mentally and physically, you're just giving yourself a huge leg up on your capabilities and your potential of being successful in harvesting an animal and getting it back home again. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go, do you like do pre, do you package your stuff out by the day? No, I am not that organized. I would sure like to get to that point. Um, I've always just brought freeze dried meals. I try to bring real food if I can. The, the reality is on a multi-day hunt, Real food ends up taking up a lot of space and it's really heavy. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the things that you're saying here. And I also want to point out to people who are listening, I love how supportive you and Brady are of each other and, and how you share each other's accomplishments. But I also don't want them to get the impression that, that you're just Susie Homemaker back there <laughs> plant, planting beans and, um, and making freeze-dried chili. You're a killer. Like you want really hard yourself and you're very successful at it. Yeah, I, it's funny. I <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just have not honestly, like it sucks because I haven't drawn an elk tag yet. Like I haven't gotten to elk hunt yet. So all of these, you know, backcountry meals and all of this stuff, I do it because I obviously love Brady and want him to like, that's his love language. He loves food. (laughs) I know um, to keep him happy to keep feeding him. And I want him to be successful and safe and all of that. So the easiest way for me to do that is just to help him, you know, prepare. Otherwise, I know he would just be eating, you know, all of the pre-bought stuff that's full of sodium. And I know he feels better when um, that's not the case. So yeah, no, it's funny. I eat a lot of these, even when we're just whitetail and mule deer hunting, you know, with the kids, like we, we just make a ton of them. And then we stick them in this big, giant tub that literally lives in our truck while um, hunting season is going on. So from the time archery even opens until um, the reservation season closes, like right after, right after Christmas, we pretty much just leave him in the truck. And then whatever he doesn't take elk hunting, we use throughout the year, even with the kids, just because, I mean, I'd rather eat that than 
you know, snack on some bars or anything like that, even when, you know, we're only going out for a day, you know, it's, it's just nice because it is real food. It just doesn't have any water in it. So we're, we're all about quality versus quantity at our house. So you could, you could easily stash some dehydrated meals you made yourself in your pack and not take up a ton of space or a ton of weight. They literally weigh next to nothing by the time you're done with them. So that's the other nice part about making them your, yourself. The packaging is quite a bit smaller because you're vacuum sealing them and sucking all that out versus, you know, the ones that you get kind of from the store, they're, they're bigger, kind of pouchier. So it does take up a lot less room in your pack as well. Well, I'm, uh, I'm really interested in coming out and hunting with you guys sometime. So maybe I'll trade you um, for an elk hunt out here because there are ways that you can get yourself on an elk tag and I'm not going to talk about them. Um, in front of the entire uh, podcast listening world, but uh, <laughs> I will pick you up on that. <laughs> we can talk some details there. Uh, you killed a turkey this spring, right? I did. Oh, that was the best turkey too. Oh gosh, it tasted so good. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I shot a turkey with my bow. I love archery hunting turkeys. It's probably, I mean. Brady thinks I'm ridiculous for saying this, but it's it's like my favorite hunting. I don't know why, but I just love hunting turkeys. Maybe it's because it's the first thing that I did that Brady didn't teach me how to do. That's probably why. <laughs> did he get yeah. a turkey? He did get a turkey. So we have a kind of a running competition at our house. So I taught myself how to turkey hunt oh, three years ago and shot a turkey with my bow. And I think that was like the start of, oh, well, I can't, I can't let her turkey hunt and me not turkey hunt. So then he started turkey hunting. So yeah, he shot his first one with his bow this year. So yeah, he did. He got one too. And Cooper got one. So we have um, had three turkeys on the camp chef all grilled up this year. So it's been really great. Well, Killing a turkey with a bow is a big accomplishment, but turning that turkey around and making it taste good is an even bigger accomplishment, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like I can't believe that you eat that because they don't think it tastes very good. But it's the trick is in the brining. I will tell you, the trick is in the brining. That's what you said. That's what you said. Um, I've got a few days left in turkey season over here. I just don't see myself going. Um, I've been focusing so hard on catching kokanee, and now I'm going to transition into bow fishing a little bit. I do have a spring bear hunt coming up in Idaho. Thankfully, they're reopened to non-resident hunting, and I've got a rifle competition in Montana that I'm about to take off for. But lots of good stuff on the horizon. What's your fall hunting look like? Um, so this fall, we decided to pretty much stick strictly to South Dakota because of everything going on. So last, typically Brady usually elk hunts Wyoming or Colorado. He's hunted over the counter Colorado twice, two or three years. And then last year he drew a Wyoming elk tag. So he did that. Um, but we decided just because by the time he would go and elk hunt, it would be right smack dab in the middle of archery season here. 
and then their tribal season opens up and then regular, you know, rifle season opens up. We have an opportunity for a lot of tags in South Dakota because of the way it's split up and all of the reservations here that we just decided this year we were because of everything going on, we were just going to really focus in on all of our South Dakota tags and spend a lot of time with our kids hunting, just getting them out. We have two that now want to Cooper has antelope and um, deer hunted the past two years. And now Callie wants to shoot an antelope this year. She shot her first deer last year. So it's not just Brady and I anymore. Now I'm like trying to keep up and, you know, fit in time for four of us to hunt and fill our tags. So it's going to be a busy fall. I should draw antelope here, which antelope is one of my favorites to hunt. Um, and then I should also draw a whitetail tag close to where we live. And then Brady, Brady put in for the reservation, the Standing Rock reservation tag here, just, which is just close to us also. And then we can also get an East River tag. Well, we can get two bow tags. So there's just a lot of opportunity to deer hunt here and antelope hunt and so I think that's what that's what our focus is going to be. We really he really wanted to spring bear hunt in Montana this year, but they shut down the season until like two weeks ago, something like that. And he didn't um, we didn't have it planned good enough so that he they could make it out to go. So he ended up missing out on that, which is a bummer, but um, that's OK. That's really tough. I feel for these guys, especially the ones who had controlled hunts that they'd applied for or saved money for for a long time a friend of mine in alaska who's a guide had to turn in almost three quarters of a million dollars worth of tags just because they shut down all the spring hunting for non-residents and i understand i mean those those little remote villages they don't have any kind of a health care system to to deal with with an outbreak and the way that this stuff was built when it first came out was pretty scary um, and if it had, if it had acted like that, then that would have been a real threat. So I have a yeah. mountain goat tag for Kodiak, Alaska this year, and I'm just hoping that they open up hunting for the fall and all indications right now are pretty positive for that, but it scares me because it's something that I just want so badly. I've got some anxiety around, uh, thinking that it might not happen. So are you going with an outfitter or are you going DIY? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going with an outfitter um, on, on Kodiak. There's actually two other guys from SIG that were lucky enough to draw the tag. So we're all going to go up there together and see what we can do. And if we wrap it up quickly, then um, I'm going to add in a little Sitka blacktail hunting, which is something I very much wanted to do for a long time. And I'm excited about that. That would be so awesome. So, Brady, when we were at Western Hunt Expo, Brady booked a mountain goat hunt for not 2020, but 2021. So, and he was like, you're coming with. I'm like, I am. <laughs> okay. So, I sounds like I get to go with. But I mountain goat isn't, hasn't really been on my bucket list. My number one has always been a moose. But I think I might just go with and take photos and experience it with him. And the outfitter said that if I, you know, wanted to shoot a bear, I could shoot a bear and just, you know, do trophy fees and all of that. So that would be pretty cool, to be honest, like just to be up there and 
just experience it. Something I, I, you know, he didn't want to go by himself and he just, something we've have not done before. So I think it'll be cool for sure. Well, I'm excited for both of you. And I'd, I'd really like to get Brady on here sometime to talk more about the, the meat aspect of things and, and his hunting. He's had a pretty incredible career the last few years. It's been, uh, it's been fun to, to watch him get after it. Yeah, he, he loves it. Honestly, a lot of people ask, like, how do you deal with him talking about hunting all the time? But honestly, like, it's just oh, it's who he is, right? And it's been such an incredible thing for him to share that with us as a family, because I didn't hunt prior to meeting him at all. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. So I didn't know anything about it. So I'm just so, so thankful that he was willing to teach all of us, um, not just me, but the kids and for it to be kind of a family thing. He loves shooting and, you know, all the things. So it's been nice. It's really nice to have your own personal reloader. And (laughs) he cooks for me, I cook for him and he does all my reloading. So (laughs) even trade, I think. So perfect. Well, Kristen, you've given, uh, given me some good ideas and some things that I'm definitely going to try out this fall. If people want to hear more from you or read some of your recipes, where do they find you? Um, they can find me at gatheringhills.com or at gatheringhills on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook too, just as Kristen Ritterath. So yeah, on all the things, always open to answering questions via DM. I I chat with everybody on there. So people don't realize that I actually do answer all of my questions. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. I love helping people. And it's just, it's just a ton of fun to share your knowledge with people. Well, you and Brady are salt of the earth people. And I really enjoyed getting to meet, meet you. And I look forward to getting to hunt with you sometime um, on my side of the mountains or yours. And yes. I appreciate, appreciate your time and, and your knowledge. And we're going to have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I would also like to thank Kristen for sharing her knowledge. This episode was edited by Emily Brannigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Artwork for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatterlin, and digitized by Celia Christofferson. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to share it with a friend and subscribe. You can find photos and more content on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast. We'll be back with the next portion of our insect series next Friday. Have a great week and don't forget to go catch a fish.